You are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I am your host, Claire O'Brien. I'm a nurse practitioner. And today I'm super excited. I've got Dr. Betsy Grunch. She is a neurosurgeon and she is also a TikTok superstar. So if you want to be educated and also entertained, you definitely need to follow her on TikTok. So Dr. Grunch, gosh, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I know you're crazy busy. No problem. Happy to be here. All right. So tell us a little bit about you how did you start in medicine? What drove you to neurosurgery? Just give us a little background on you. Sure. Um, my name is Betsy Grunch. Um, as you said, I'm a neurosurgeon. I practice in uh, Gainesville, Georgia, um, which is where I grew up. And um, I did just briefly, I did uh, my undergrad at the University of Georgia uh, the national champion Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, Go dogs. <laughs> and I uh, did my medical school at Medical College of Georgia and matched in neurosurgery at Duke University, where I did my uh, surgery internship, uh, neurosurgery residency, and spine fellowship. And I am a board certified neurosurgeon and, and practice uh, here in Georgia since 2013. So Man, um, but so that's, that's a lot of schooling. <laughs> like that's a lot. How many years is neurosurgery residency? Um, for, for me, it was, um, for me, it was 15 years, um, but it, it can be anywhere between 15 to 18. The, the um, requirements have changed a little bit just because of the uh, work hour week uh, compared to whenever I did my residency. But, but yeah, it's a long time. That is, um, that's, I mean, Oh my gosh. And so what there's, there aren't as many, obviously, uh, women in surgery just in the first place as are men. I know that the numbers are getting better, but there aren't as many women in surgery. There certainly aren't. I mean, you are just a unicorn in your field. I mean, there aren't very many female neurosurgeons. And so what, what was it about neurosurgery that you said, okay, this is, this is what I want to do knowing I'm about to spend, you know, a decade and a half training in this specific field? Yeah. So I, um, actually, I came to surgery, well, to neurosurgery because of, um, kind of a childhood experience. I mean, just, um, um, briefly, my mother was, um, a police officer um, in the nineties. So very male dominated field. I mean, still mm-hmm. really is, but, um, I, uh, really just thought she was, you know, just super cool. And, um, I really wanted to be like my mom, like all young girls. And I yeah. wanted to be a cop. And, um, when she, when I was 13, she was injured in the line of duty. Um, she was paralyzed from a auto accident uh, in the line of duty or vehicle patrol car was shot at and she, um, uh, struck a tree and, um, so she was quadriplegic and went through, um, surgery, recovery, et cetera. Um, 
kind of, you know, as I was just kind of maturing and um, I wanted to understand injuries like this and how it can really just devastate um, someone's life. And I wanted to fix people, her, I wanted to fix people like her. And I just really became interested in the spine and um, began to shadow her neurosurgeon in high school and really just um, kind of changed gears a little bit. And I wanted to be a neurosurgeon um, and I wanted to, you know, I really wanted to work in spine. And, um, and so, so that's the short, the short of it. Man. Um, and that's, I feel like a really common thing for surgeons in subspecialties to have, you know, experiences growing up that, that really, well, really any, any medical folks in subspecialties, you know, we all kind of have some connection that typically drives us to, you know, our particular field or our particular subspecialty. Uh, that's really, really right. fascinating about your mom. Um, is she still, how's she doing? Is she still, um, yeah, she's, yeah. she's, she's doing, she's, sta- I mean, she's doing fine. She, yeah. uh, the injury was in, 94. Um, and so a long time ago, um, she, you know, many people are familiar with like Christopher Reeve. Um, yeah, no longer with us, but, uh, that's the type of injury she has. And, uh, it's been over 25 years, however long that's been. And, um, she, she lives like a mile from me. Um, so, I mean, and she's gone through health issues related to her quadriplegia, but, um, really just, you know, very, um, um, motivating person. And, and she's very proud of me. (laughs) I'm sure. I mean, golly. So when you were in residency, so you have, you have children now did, let's see, I'm like trying to mathematically, cause I know I've seen your kids and I, I feel like they're younger. So did, did you have children during med school or residency or was that more when you got out? Right. So, um, actually I had them after I, my husband and I met when I was towards, well, kind of in the middle of my residency. Um, and we decided we got married right about a year before I finished my residency. Uh, well, about a year and a half. And we, we just decided to wait to have kids. I mean, um, I think this is a whole nother digression, (laughs) but, um, uh, you know, we we just, yeah, just, um, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to have kids once I was able to start my career. And so, yeah, so there are three and six now. And that's, you're busy. I mean, I have a four and six year old and it is, it's, it's just a lot. So how do you, how are you able to balance that with your crazy hours now? I mean, you're not, you're in, you're in now a place where are you in private practice? Um, yes, I'm in private practice. Yeah. So do you feel like that's kind and, of what um, helps you balance being a, a mom and a busy surgeon and a, a physician and all of that? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think any, any mom in medicine, whether it be a physician or a nurse or um, otherwise, I mean, you know, it's, it's challenging because of the obligations you have to your field. And as a, yeah. um, as a, as a, as a neurosurgeon, I mean, that of course is very uh, busy, but fortunately I, you know, all my family live here and, um, my husband's family lives here and we have a great supportive network of people that help us. It takes a village and Literally. that's true. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I'm 
very blessed to have so many people in my kids' lives to help us. I mean, I am present, um, I mean, all the time, but, you know, there are times when I'm on call and things that come up where I just can't be. And um, and you just make it work and find the balance to, uh, to dedicate, you know, to be successful at work and to be successful, successful at home. And um, so, yeah. It's hard, too, because, you know, I feel like at least now there's there's such a divisiveness and and such an identity crisis all kind of all across the board you know and i mean i've personally experienced this i feel like the more the more i work uh the more my identity crisis as a mom flares and then the more time i take from work and focus more on my kids and my family the more my identity as you know a medical provider flares um or identity crisis as that flares and it really, we're really putting kind of ourselves in this like societal kind of lose lose situation where, you know, we, you feel like you kind of feel like you can't be good at all of it. And it, it's really difficult. Um, it, it really is. And I, I will, though, I will always say I feel like, um, staying at home is the hardest thing. Like when, when I, I'm at home with my kids for extended periods. Like, hope my kids don't listen to this in 20 years and be like, "Thanks, mom." But <laughs> I mean, nothing is harder to me than than being at home with my kids for like multiple days in a row. Like when we had COVID, um, gosh, like a month ago, and you know, day three, four. I mean, I, I'm like, I got, I need a break. I mean, I'm dying. So it, it's just, it's all hard. Kind of whatever, whatever you're particular situation looks like it's just it's all the balance is difficult um it just it really is agree yeah yeah it's just finding that right balance and you're right I mean I I can never be a stay-at-home mom (laughs) I I love my kids I I love my work um and I'm just I'm just a people person and I think you know having the right balance between doing what's um, right as a mom and doing what's right as a as a provider is uh, sometimes very challenging and like you said I mean there are days when I work my butt off at work and I don't get to put my kids to bed and I have meetings late at night and I'm just like oh I'm the worst mom ever and then you know it, and then it all balances out so you just you just you just have to find what that balance is and I think we're just always super critical of ourselves and our ability to do things and and there and and that always fluctuates right so it does. I mean, tonight's a good example. So we both were trying to find a time to record and both, you know, wanted to like wait till our kids are in bed. I mean, it's it's almost nine o'clock your time, eight o'clock my time. But then I also we have our company meetings every two weeks on Wednesday nights at eight o'clock Eastern. And so on those nights, I'm like, you know, I'm like, okay, okay all right, everybody, everybody go to bed. Like we got to go to bed because I know that our meeting starts at seven. So I'm like, all right, I got a meeting at seven hopefully it lasts for 30 minutes and recording a podcast seven 30. And, um, but it is, you know, then I have to just be like, listen, my, yeah, my four-year-old got like two minutes less than she normally gets, you know, she, she's going to be okay. And I'll, you know, maybe she's going to be okay. Some yeah. therapy later right. if she needs it, like we'll be right. <laughs> like, she'll be okay. Um, okay. So you do spine, you do minimally invasive spine stuff. Is that right? I was trying to figure out exactly. I mean, forgive my like complete ignorance of your exactly what you do. <laughs> like, tell, so what, what, who's your typical patient? Who's your, your crowd? 
Sure. So, I mean, I, um, I do all, I, I focus more, more in spine and, um, I, I am a trauma neurosurgeon as well. So I do like on-call, um, traumatic brain injury and spine fracture and that type of thing. But my average patient can really vary. I mean, I take care of young athletes that have disc injuries all the way to the gamut of elderly people with back and spine problems and, you know, strokes and those kinds of things. So I think that's what's really fun about my job is I see such a wide spectrum of mm-hmm. people that just kind of keeps me on my feet. So, so you still do, you take trauma call and you do all the yeah. like, TBIs and all that. Okay. So what's your advice as a, as a, like to young adults, I was going to say to as parents, but I mean, that's such a soft toss. Like, okay. If you had to tell people one thing not to do as a trauma brain surgeon, what would you, what would your top thing be? I think I have a guess, but I'm like, if you don't say this, I'll be shocked. What would you say? Distracted driving. Ooh. Okay. That means driving without, driving without seatbelts, texting while driving. Um, motorcycles too. I motorcycles. Mean, motorcycles are just yes. <laughs> so like surely she's going to say motorcycle. I want to know who is not wearing a seatbelt. It kind of, to me, it's kind of like smoking. And like if I see someone smoking, it's 2022. I'm like, Oh really? Like, are we doing, are we doing this still? And I'm kind of the same way about a seatbelt. Like I literally don't understand who is not wearing a seatbelt, but it's shockingly common. It it really is. I mean, I I live in kind of the northeast portion of Georgia. We have a lot of country um, and a lot of country folk, as you want to call them. Um, <laughs> right. And um, you know, seatbelts aren't very popular, so it keeps me in business, unfortunately. But um, and um, you know, I mean, guys see a lot of kids with distracted driving, even adults with distracted yeah. driving. I mean trying to adjust things in their seats or do, do things. And it's just, um, it's dangerous, but I do see, I mean, obviously motorcycles are huge, um, because if you get in a motorcycle accident at any speed, you're going to be really hurt. But, um, I think I see more auto accidents just because of they're more common, but are you seeing more golf cart stuff? So if you've been following DabbleCo and me for any length of time, you know that I'm super careful with anybody that I endorse or any partnership or brand here. So the goal is always to share evidence-based medicine and things backed by actual science with our audience and our followers. So I was thrilled when BetterHelp approached me to do a partnership with them. So thank you so much to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is an online platform that connects you to counseling in an incredibly convenient and affordable way, which I think are the two biggest barriers to counseling, access and affordability. So I was actually really surprised when I looked up their rates for counseling. They were a third of what I feel like I've ever heard and what I've personally paid. Um, It solves both of the problems with literally the click of a button on the internet. So I have personally seen the benefits of counseling. I know firsthand how important it is, and I know it plays a crucial role in mental health. So check them out, and they will know that I sent you, and you'll get 10% off your first month of counseling if you head to betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Um, so it's super easy, betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, actually, I, I see some of that. I mean, we we have a, a pretty big golf community near one of our hospitals, and uh, we, we see some golf, golf cart injuries and ATV accidents and stuff like that as well. So, um, 
they can be dangerous. It is. It's, it's, it really, so golf carts, I feel like have really are making this kind of huge, they're, they're making their way into really communities everywhere. So when we were in Charleston, kind of everybody where we were had a golf cart and you could take them a, a lot of places and kind of go on back roads and still, still get a lot of places. And, um, actually one of when, when I was on the, the regular, you know, like general surgery team, gosh, like 12 years ago, one of our chief residents, we heard he's coming back to, to Charleston to practice. And then all of a sudden we heard he had this crazy golf cart accident. So he's standing on the back of a golf cart and he had done general surgery, then did his plastics residency in uh, New Orleans, standing on the back of a golf cart and the person goes and he, you know, go and if you're not holding on, then you like, you just fly out. So he fell backwards, had this crazy traumatic brain injury, like had to learn everything again. I mean, was in the hospital for, you know, months and truly was on basically on his way to shepherd's spinal, which I'd love to, to talk about that briefly. Cause I, just in case anybody's never heard of it and they, you know, were looking for a resource. Um, he was like, getting discharged to shepherd spine and started kind of walking and talking again, like just kind of out of nowhere gets full function back and is like functioning and operating surgeon. Supplements and vitamins are just a part of so many of our daily lives now. So how do we know what to choose in a brand? My family personally uses Thorne. Thorne has partnerships with hospitals and universities across the country, including the Mayo Clinic and Charleston's own Medical University of South Carolina. You can order any Thorn product through me when you create your account at thorn.com slash you slash dabblecoat and you'll receive 15% off and free shipping on all your future orders. When you create your account, you will just be prompted to confirm Dabbleco as your referral and the discounts applied in the cart after you create your account. Again, that's thorn.com slash you like the letter U slash Dabbleco. And you can also find the direct link in the show notes. Wow. It's crazy. That's, that's awesome, but it's also (laughs) tragic. I mean, that had to be terrible to go through. Yeah. Yes. I actually, I saw him in Charleston a couple of, you know, a few times and I was like, Craig, I, I, I could not believe this story. And he's like, yeah, look at my trach scar. Like he had a, you know, you had a trach because he was on the vent for so long. And, um, he's like, yeah, I'm, you know, totally went totally back to normal. And he had to go through, um, that like a third party testing and everything to make sure that he was like back up to normal, normal function. But, um, so you're, you're pretty close to Atlanta and there's a really neat and just really special place in Atlanta called shepherd, um, shepherd spinal. Can you tell people about that just in case they have a friend or family or just something that, you know, someone looking for a resource, I'm sure that you work very closely with them with, with some of your patients. Absolutely. I mean, my mom actually is a, as a patient, that's where she did all of her rehab. Um, and yeah, it is just a world renowned traumatic brain injury and spinal cord injury rehabilitation center. Um, and they, it's just phenomenal. The amount of, um, of specialized care they provide in the rehab setting of patients with neurological trauma. Um, and it's in, it's in the heart of, you know, Atlanta, um, and there's people come from all over the, uh, Eastern United States to do recovery there. So yeah, it's, it's great. It's a great resource. So how did you take, taking a hard left, how did you get into TikTok? Because you, 
have blown up. And I, I love your videos so much. They're so good. How did you get into TikTok and who is like making these with you? (laughs) Um, so I mean, it's kind of funny actually, but, um, I, I mean, I love social media. I, you know, big on Facebook and then Instagram came out and love Instagram. Um, and, um, me and my PA were really getting into Instagram and posting educational stuff. And, um, and I was just one of those, like, okay, I have the TikTok app, but I never used it. And, uh-huh. um, I, I was like, oh no, I'm not doing that. Uh, so anyway, I, I used TikTok, um, to do some of my reels on Instagram, which Instagram is, I do not understand how to get followers on Instagram, but, um, it's I a mess. they don't even know uh, what they're doing. It, oh my gosh. So anyway, I, um, I used TikTok to do just a funny, um, uh, video and I just posted it in public, but I didn't have any followers. And then I posted on Instagram and it blew up on TikTok, like blew up, I think a million views or something like that. And I was like, okay, this is kind of, and then people are just so supportive. I mean, of course you have trolls, but it was fine. I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna post again. And then, you know, and then it just kind of grew from there. And I just um, really um, have found it to be an outlet for me. Um, also yeah. a huge addiction for me. Um, but it's, it's a fun outlet to have whatever. Yeah. (laughs) But I just love, um, being able to really reach out to people. I mean, I'm in such a, like you said, uh, a subspecialized field with women in neurosurgery that there's, there's not many of us. And there is even fewer of us out there on social media. And, um, I've just had so much, um, young people come to me and be like, ask, you know, asking me questions, asking me for advice. And it's just really been that, um, uh, role for me that I never had. And I wish I had when I was, um, growing up, if you will, but, um, I just, I'm so proud to be able to connect with that generation of people that are using TikTok. Of course, there are other people that use TikTok too, um, but I just, I've, I've found it to be extremely rewarding in a way that I never knew I needed. So yeah. yeah. And you're crushing that makes sense. I know it absolutely does. So you're, you're lady spine doc on, on uh, uh, TikTok, and, you know, I love it. I mean, some of them are funny. Some of them are truly educational. Some of them are really poignant. I mean, you're just kind of touching on all the emotions and it sounds so, you know, I, it, it's, it sounds so cliche sometimes to say represent representation matters, but gosh, it does. It, I mean, it really does for little girls to be able to look at that and say, yeah, I do want to be in the OR. And you know what? I do want to spend that amount of time in residency because, you know, a lot of times they're told you don't want to do that. You know, you really, you really don't want to do that. And maybe they do. Um, so I just think it's super cool to, to see that. Um, I love, I just, I, I love watching your videos. I think they're, they're great. Yeah, I have a, I have a um, weird, well, I don't know if it's a weird sense of humor, but I, I find it as a release for some of my humor as well. And, um, and that's fun. So <laughs> also who, who is trolling you? Like, what, what are they trolling you about? Like, you're like, what, what? you're not a real doctor. I don't know. I, I mean, saying. 
like what? I don't know. You would be amazed. I follow a lot of doctors on um, TikTok now, and it's amazing how much hate that you get. And it's really kind of sad. But um, yeah. I've yeah. like currently my account is handcuffed because I had someone report some video that I posted of my son with my, my dog licking his face, um, and reported me for minor endangerment and, and TikTok takes minor offenses, like anything involving children very seriously. So someone went in there and reported my account on multiple videos of my kids and my account was shut down for like all last week. And now it's like very limited in terms of what they're putting out on the for you page for my content. And it's frustrating because you, you have people on there that are, I mean, like, I don't know why they're keyboard trolls or whatever, but I mean, you know, that's just life, right? You have people that are, whether they be jealous, whether they be angry or voicing their frustrations out on someone else. And it, it comes out a lot easier in some platforms such as that, where you can live behind a keyboard and no one will know what you're saying. And, and, um, that's, that's just life. So you've have had trolls my whole life telling, like you said, I mean, you can't do this. Why are you doing, why are you going to be a doctor? You're, you shouldn't be that. Or why, why would you want to be a woman in, in neurosurgery? You, you shouldn't be doing that. So, I mean, that's just the way it is. So we overcome. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, we try. <laughs> How I want to ask you this too, cause I, I'm sure, um, I don't know what the statistic is of people that have back pain and low back pain, but do you, what's your, what's your kind of advice for people who are like, I've always heard, okay, surgery should be your last resort, specifically back surgery should be the last resort. So what do you tell people? Do people ever come see you too early or are they kind of ready for surgery by the time they, they see you or what? Let's talk about back pain a little bit. Sure. I mean, it's the, it's the spectrum. I mean, I have people that come and see me. I mean, our appointments are backed out, but you know, we have people, people that come and see me with like two days of back pain. And then you have people that come and see you with 20 years of undiagnosed back pain. And so it really varies. I mean, I, um, have grown in my practice to such that I've had, I have a lot of advanced practice providers that work with me and are very great at what they do and Uh can kind of filter through some of those, um, non-surgical things. But, um, it, it, you know, most of what I see is, is surgical back pain, but we do see a fair share of non-surgical back pain and, and get people through those issues with their back, but it's all, it's all the same to me, just taking care of people and getting them better. So non-surgical back pain, what do you do for that? I mean, so, you know, a lot of people, um, have back pain. I mean, back pain in general is very, it can be very easy to diagnose the source of the problem or it can be extremely challenging and, um, you know, really understanding the anatomy of the spine and mm-hmm. understanding why people have different sources of back pain. I mean, I have so a lot of people that come and see me they have a stone cold normal MRI, but they have yeah. debilitating pain. And there's a reason. I mean, obviously there are some crazy people out there, but the majority of people that come and see, um, you know, see doctors are not making it up. I mean, they right. have legitimate pain. So 
Um, you know, you just kind of have to work through the issues of why, what causes it, what makes it worse. I mean, it can be something as simple as, okay, well, um, you know, they, I, women, particularly like, you know, pregnancy, they'll have diastasis or splitting their abdominal muscles because mm-hmm. of babies. Um, and then, you know, their core strength is terrible. And so their core strength is lacking and then their back hurts because they have no core support. Um, so it could be something as simple as working on your core support and that can be extremely helpful. Um, you know, sending them the physical therapy, sometimes, um, uh, sometimes injections may help or other conservative treatments like dry needling, um, or really focusing on one trigger point that's painful, um, and if there is any actual pathology within the spine, it can be trouble in people with a terrible back to try to figure out, okay, well, which spot in their back, all of it's kind of not great. Which one is the source of the pain? Yeah. So um, that, that it can, it's, it's a lot of um, investment in the patient. And in this day and age, and in, unfortunately in medicine, a lot of people don't have the time to really, uh, dedicate to listening to patients and trying to figure it out because, um, I mean, you know, people with chronic pain period are sometimes challenging patients. So, um, it, it, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a job. (laughs) It's a challenge. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, we're all for the most part now kind of on these, you know, RVU systems and you got to eat what you kill. And we're all being pushed to do more and more RVUs and see more patients. And the 15 minutes or 15 minute visits are turning into 12, turning into eight. And, you know, like you said, sometimes you really just have to sit down and flesh out the problem with the patient. If you don't have the time, literally, you know, if you're not given the time by your institution, it, it can be really, it can be challenging, but okay. But I need for you to take me back to dry needling because yeah, I had that done once and I was like, um, this is how I'm going to die. So <laughs> please explain to me what, and I, I, so I had it, I'll tell you what, when I was pregnant, I had a lot of, um, SI, so I don't, I already had SI joint dysfunction pain before and did physical therapy and it was, you know, better, but got crazy painful during pregnancy. And so I was going to, um, a massage therapist once a week who it was just super helpful by the way, like it, it was helpful. And then one day he's like, yeah, let's do some dry needling. I think you'll really like it. Um, and sure enough, I did not, I did not, but I, so I, but I also don't understand it. And so I'm like, sir, if we need to do this, like, fine, I'll keep doing it. But also I, hate you very much right now. So explain, can you explain what is dry needling and how is it helpful? Sure. Um, uh, it's good for muscular pain. So in someone that has a, a, a muscular issue or a muscle that's tight or a muscle that has a knot in it, or is, is, um, triggering, um, uh, pain in a particular region doing dry needling, which is kind of like acupuncture needles, needles, very small bore, um, needles that you can place them into the muscle belly. Um, and what it does is it releases the tension on the muscle itself and relaxes the muscle. Um, and so it can, it can be painful to have, but, but it can be very much a release of them. <laughs> yeah, Apparently. but very much a good release of the pain. Yeah, so. I, I and I also felt so dumb because I'm like dying on this table, and the guy's like, 
oh, I re- most people really like this. And I'm like, I, I do not, I do not care for this, but, um, you know, and it, it probably helped. I just, you know, I'm a, probably a big baby and felt like I was going to die while it was happening, but that's super interesting. Um, do you do that? Yeah, I had or some done on my wrist when, when, oh. when I was in, uh, I had a, well, I've had it done in my neck, my wrist, but there are some places that are definitely more sensitive um, I, I get it done a fair amount on my neck and it, it's wonderful, but I, I would never do it on my wrist again. That was awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that. I, that sounds kind of terrible. Uh, what's your favorite thing to do? <laughs> what's your favorite thing to operate on? Um, everybody always asks me that. And I, I mean, like, I really enjoy all parts of surgery. I mean, there's yeah. some, Uh, particular I I just I really love minimally invasive surgery because it's um it's it's rewarding from a multitude of aspects it's it's fairly at least in my brain I like doing things through um percutaneous approach because I'm not having to dive through a lot of tissue and bleeding and that kind of thing um and so I, I I love doing those types of procedures but I also like doing you know big open like cases like where we go in the belly and get to the spine because I like seeing um that sounds kind of disturbing but I like seeing the insides and you know (laughs) seeing seeing cool anatomy and um I you know I I like it all I think it's all all rewarding and all all fun because I mean honestly and I think this applies to anything whether it be medicine or be whatever if you hate a particular portion of your job and it's something that you have to do, then it just makes things miserable. So if you take yeah. enjoyment and, and what you do and make it enjoyable, then you're going to be happy most of the time. So that's what I try to do. That's awesome. Well, tell people where they can find you on various social medias, website, things like that. Uh, so I am Lady Spine Doc on TikTok, um, as you mentioned, and I am Dr. Grunch on Instagram, but I have Dr. spelled out and there's, it's a link from my TikTok. Um, and of course I'm on, on, uh, Facebook. I do not tweet, but other than that, I'm on all three of those platforms. <laughs> you know what? Twitter is honestly the cesspool of the, well, but it's a toss up between Facebook and Twitter, but Twitter, everybody's so angry on Twitter. So I feel like it's probably Agreed. best for you to stay off of there. I totally agree with that decision, but man, well, thank you for taking the time. I really, I loved talking to you and I know this will be really, really inspiring to, uh, women who are listening who may want to follow in your footsteps. Um, and as always, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends, rate it, definitely subscribe. That's how I continue to get great guests. And I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.